This, this is the second, second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. Today we feature Second Story veteran Lot Hill, who illuminates a small bit of the path of self-discovery with the help of his favorite artists. Recorded at Elm Park on July 16th, 2016, Second Story presents Lot Hill. was a senior in high school when George Michael released his debut solo album and the first single, I Want Your Sex, sent shockwaves across the world. Radio stations would not play it. Politicians warned it would corrupt teenagers and Casey Kasem wouldn't even speak the song's name the entire 14 weeks. It was on the top 40. In my small Kentucky high school, the song unveiled sexual tensions that were previously unspeakable. Overnight, it seemed the cutesy pop ballads of Starship and Rick Astley were wiped away by unbridled lust, and suddenly you could look anyone in the eye and brazenly sing, I want your sex. But it was just a song after all. And my group of friends, all girls except for one other guy, could sing every song from the Faith album before the singles ever hit the radio. My friend Craig and I both had Faith t-shirts and keychains and buttons and posters of George Michael in torn faded jeans and leather jacket and you know his butt looked good in those jeans. I had a poster of George with come hither eyes and arms wrapped around himself like he needed someone to hold him. I would not admit it at the time, but I wanted to hold him. We could never get enough. The UK release of the album, extended singles, and our holy grail, the double cassette version of Wham!, the final, never released in the US, which Craig ordered from the back of a fan magazine. Yeah, we were obsessed. But no matter how obvious it may now seem that we were gay, neither Craig nor I were out of the closet. In the late 80s, the only role models we had for homosexuality in Kentucky were horrifying news images of skeletal-looking men dying alone of AIDS. George Michael wasn't even out of the closet, and homosexuality seemed like a primal instinct that everyone I knew said was bad and wrong. But I Want Your Sex gave Craig and me a way of acknowledging things that we would never admit to. I mean, have you ever listened to the lyrics? There's things that you guess and things that you know. There's boys you can trust and girls that you don't. There's little things you hide and little things that you show sometimes you think you're gonna get head but you don't and that's just the way it goes i want to stop here and thank you always wanted to do that i want to stop here and fast forward because the rest of senior year was the typical blur of homecoming yearbook prom and graduation and while george michael provided the soundtrack with a string of hits Most of my friends stayed in our hometown after graduation while I went to a small school a hundred miles away. Suddenly, I was trapped on the Kentucky-Tennessee border in a dorm room with a tobacco-dipping, football-playing roommate who called himself Buzz 
and was clearly uncomfortable with George Michael's come hither eyes gazing out from the poster I had taped to our wall. I didn't know anyone at that school, and I spent most of my time avoiding frat boys while working at the campus deli delivering pizzas. At first, it felt like I'd never have any friends on a campus that was dominated by sports and Greek life. But there was this girl named Melody who ordered pizza every night I worked. And then one night, as she paid for her pizza, she boldly asked me out on a date. Melody tried to be punk, but was more Annie Lennox with her dark lipstick and short blonde hair. We didn't really have much in common beyond the fact that neither of us had many friends. Melody liked The Cure and Violent Femmes and The Sex Pistols, and I liked, well, George Michael. But we were both lonely, and before long, we were hanging out together every day, and Melody was calling me her boyfriend. Then... One day, out of the blue, I found a letter from Craig in my campus mailbox. It was two notebook pages, front and back. He wrote about how different college was, how he missed hanging out with me, and how it seemed nobody really cared about George Michael anymore. <laughs> At the bottom of the letter, like a postscript, were a few scribbled lines from Faith, which I read with mounting confusion. Well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body, I know not everybody has got a body like you. Mm. But I gotta think twice before I give my heart away. And I know all the games you play because I play them too. My heart was racing. Was Craig just quoting from one of our favorite songs? Was he sending me a coded message? Did he want me to know something that neither of us would ever dare to say? I wrote back that same afternoon. I complained about how I hated college and made it sound like I had made some new friends, but I left out any specific information about Melody. For the next few weeks, Craig and I wrote so regularly that some of our correspondence must have passed in the mail. But here's the thing. I never told Melody about the letters. Though I knew she thought we were getting serious, our dates mostly consisted of watching rented movies and awkward kissing. I was beginning to question my own feelings. I didn't know who or what I wanted. I never intended to hurt Melody, but I convinced myself that it was best to keep the correspondence a secret. And Craig kept writing. Letters, greeting cards, sometimes postcards. In just shy of two months, I received and answered more than 30 pieces of mail. I actually kept them all. Then one Friday afternoon, I received an unusually short letter about a movie he saw on cable called Morris that was based on the novel by E.M. Forrester. Without telling me what it was about, he wrote, Please find the book and read it. I need to know you understand. I'd never heard of E.M. Forrester, but there was something insistent in the tone of Craig's letter in that final line, I need to know you understand. With less than an hour before work, I rushed to the nearly empty campus library. God, I still remember the smell of that copy that I found on the shelves. There was no dust jacket, and the pages were uncreased like no one had ever cracked the cover. And it was heavy 
in my hand, like what was bound there would be more than just words printed on paper. If a book has ever changed your life, you know what I'm talking about. I rushed back to my room and reluctantly took the book, tucked the book under my cup pillow. Fridays were always a busy night on, pizza for, on campus for pizza, and my shift passed quickly, but as usual, Melody called in an order and requested that I deliver it. My manager clearly thought that I was delivering more than just pizza to the girls' dorm and gave me a wink. Don't be long, stud. But I couldn't bring myself to spend more than just a few moments in Melody's room. It was then that I started to feel guilty, like I was hiding something from her, more than just letters from my high school friend. Can't you hang out just a little while? Melody whined. It's a busy night, so I got to get back to the deli was my excuse. Her mouth formed a pout under her black lipstick. I just hope you aren't cheating on me with another girl. Don't worry, I'm not, I mumbled and pulled the door closed behind me. It would be a lie to tell you that I remember the specifics of that weekend. All I know is that for the first time in my life, I read a book from cover to cover without stopping. I devoured it slowly and deliberately like my life depended on each and every word. I don't know if the roommate passed through, but I didn't leave my room. I didn't eat and I didn't pick up the phone when Melody called again and again. By Sunday morning, I reached the final pages of Morris and felt like I was waking after a deep, long sleep, like I was no longer the person I once was. Something had changed inside of me. I carefully flipped back through the pages of the book to make sure I wasn't dreaming and read out loud, he would not deceive himself so much. He would not pretend to care about women when the only sex that attracted him was his own. He loved men and had always loved them. This was Morris, realizing he was in love with his best friend, Clive, who would eventually marry a woman his mother approved of. Clive denied his love for Morris, and for much of the book, it seems as if Morris would love, live a loveless existence. But Forrester was brave enough to give this story a happy ending, which I won't spoil, but I will tell you was the first time I had ever seen evidence that two men could actually love one another and be happy. On a single unlined sheet of stationery, I wrote, Dearest Craig, yes, I understand completely. I will be home next weekend. Yours, Lot. And I know what some of you are thinking. I'm falling for this guy, but I'm still dating this girl, and I don't even have the guts to tell her that I'm gay. If it had been that simple back then, maybe I would have had the words to tell her. Maybe I could have recognized that she could get hurt in all this, but I didn't. I was deceiving myself like I always had. I was trying to be something that I wasn't and feeling like what I was and who I loved was wrong. That weekend... Near the end of that semester, on my last trip home before winter break, Craig and I finally saw each other again. All that happened between us was a hug. 
It was a mind-blowing, earth-shattering, life-altering, atomic bomb kind of a hug. But it was just a hug. The first hug with my first boyfriend. And at nearly the same moment, back at my house, my mom was discovering all of Craig's letters stuffed into the pocket of my suitcase. Yeah, I carried them home with me. And mom always knows when I'm not being true to myself. So while making sure all my laundry was clean, she just happened to find the letters and confronted me as soon as Craig dropped me off. Several hours and many tears later, she finally asked outright, and I confirmed that I thought I was gay. Of course, it wasn't easy. And she certainly wasn't very happy about it, but I'm one of the lucky ones whose moms can say, I'll love you no matter what, and mean it. And well, once my mom knew, I kind of figured there was no point in keeping it secret from anyone else. Melody was angry. She was hurt and didn't believe me at first. It was almost our two-month anniversary. Of course, I didn't just come out and say I was gay, but there's no easy way to break up with your girlfriend because you've fallen in love with a guy. The semester ended, and I decided, not just because of Craig, to transfer to the school back home. I thought I was in love with Craig, but his parents didn't know about him or us, and like Morris's Clive, he tried to keep up the charade a little longer. Eventually, he would tell me that it just wasn't possible for him to have a serious relationship with me out of fear his parents would find out. They weren't the kind to tell their children they would love them no matter what. So Craig couldn't love me. George Michael had released the last single from Faith a couple of months earlier, and it was still on the radio. It was a ballad called Kissing a Fool. Remember? George is singing in this smoky, wistful voice to a lover he's lost because of the things people say, and it seemed the perfect soundtrack for my heartbreak. But before long, I'd flip the tape, and that familiar pipe organ would give way to those unforgettable guitar chords, and once again, I'd have faith. I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a Thank you so much for coming out. We are Second Story Peace and Story Power. Lot was directed by Julian Stroop, and the sound design was by Nick Kawahara. Second Story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development and many generous individuals like you. I'm Nick Kawahara and this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.